right, so Nehemiah chapter 13, and we've been traveling through the book of Nehemiah. It's been, uh, you know, quite a great time. It's, uh, we're learning, learned so much. It's a, been a great book, Ezra and Nehemiah, as a matter of fact, talking about all the Lord has done um, through Nehemiah and through Ezra. And of course, as we've gone through all the book of Nehemiah, remember, there was uh, Nehemiah coming from Susa, coming to Jerusalem to rebuild it. Then we had all those external threats by the, the surrounding people. They had internal problems with, with the people as well. And, uh, but the wall was completed. The work was done. And the people rejoiced in what, what the Lord had really done. And then you remember we, they turned to the word of God and what we would call a revival, I guess, uh, took place. They were excited for the word of God. Uh, you know, they were hearing it, and then they wanted to put it into action. And so they wanted to be obedient to what the Lord spoke to them, what the Lord had said in his word. They wanted to do it, and they made these great commitments to, to support the temple and to give and to serve and to do things right in their lives uh, personally and then corporately as a nation, you know, honoring uh, the Lord and all that he had called them to be. And so uh, they had made those great uh, commitments because of the word of God moving in their hearts and their lives. And really, these first three verses of chapter 13 are really a continuation of chapter 12, where we left off last time, and uh, these promises that they made before the Lord. And so verse 1 says, On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of all the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. And so it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, this is great because the people, you know, again, in chapters 11 and 12 and these few verses here, they, they come, become aware or more aware, um, and maybe a lot of them really for the first time, become aware of God's standards, uh, what God has called them to, to do and live and, and all the things uh, they were to do, like, again, individually and, and as a nation. And uh, they became aware in Deuteronomy 23 is where this is from. It stated, you know, clearly that the Ammonites and the Moabites were uh, not to be regarded as part of Israel. Now, remember, they were related to uh, the nation of Ephraim, the people of, of Israel, because they come from Lot, which was Abraham's nephew. So, uh, they do come from the lineage, you know, somewhat of Abraham. And you remember Lot came with Abraham and his wife into the promised land. And eventually, you know, as the Lord blessed them, they had so much, you know, so much, so many flocks, really, big herds that they couldn't graze them all in one spot. So they decided to separate. And, of course, you know the story. Lot goes towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And eventually, you know, he finds himself in the mix of that mess. And Abraham has to... To, um, to rescue him, and then the rest of the story gets quite wild from there, and uh, he has two sons, and they become the Ammonites and the Moabites. 
And uh, God made it very clear because of their actions, as we read here, that they were not to intermix with this, these people. And the Lord had warned that uh, about uh, a number of groups surrounding the promised land and those living in the promised land, that if they intermarried with them, if they allowed them to be part of their lives, sit, that, that, the, that sin would accompany them. They would drag them down into uh, their sinful lifestyles uh, rather than the Israelites lifting them up to a holy and godly lifestyle. And that's so true. Um, you know, we should never kid ourselves. It, it, you know, when, when faced with those two things, it's just a natural reaction of people to uh, literally uh, just go sadly in the, you know, that direction. It's just, uh, you know, the old example is true. It's how much easier to, it is to pull me down than to lift somebody up. Uh, in, in that sense, in that illustration. And, and the Lord knew that, and so he warned them that sin would accompany them, and so they're not to be uh, intermixing with them. And, and again, the New Testament talks about the same thing. It's a drum we beat quite often around here, and quite frankly, it's because the Lord does uh, in his word. Um, you know, certain people that we shouldn't be hanging out with, certain people we shouldn't be friends with, uh, and certainly have any sort of uh, close relationship with that, that don't know the Lord. We're, we're just asking for trouble, and uh, we need to be careful. And so, uh, again, uh, the Lord tells them, and they, well, they knew from God's Word, because this was spoken actually, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, uh, you know, maybe 1,500, if I'm thinking it right here. Oh, maybe, you know, about more like 500, 600 years or so uh, earlier not to do this. And so uh, they separated from the Ammonites and the Moabites, but also look at verse 3 at the very end. Uh, they separated from all the mixed multitude. So uh, this refers to other groups of people that weren't walking with the Lord, but what they were doing was that they were living in Israel. They were living among God's people, um, and uh, you know they were there, and they enjoyed uh, the blessings uh, from the Lord as, the, uh, as our Father blesses His people. You know, they saw that. They saw the great things associated with the Lord, and so they kind of hung out there, but but again, they didn't want to count the cost or make a full a commitment to the Lord. Uh, they just kind of like being around and, 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 and all the things associated with it, but they, they weren't walking with the Lord, nor did they want to make a commitment with Him. And don't think that is as strange, because it happens today very frequently, uh, probably in every church, you know, there are people uh, who go to church um, and probably go to church on a regular basis. Well, there are people who go to church and go to church probably even on a regular basis, even honorable people, you know, who have some respect for God and some respect for His Word. I, I wouldn't doubt that, but that are also part of the mixed multitude because, you know, they haven't received salvation through the free gift uh, and the finished work of Jesus on the cross. They kind of like being, you know, at church. They know they should be there in some sense, and maybe, 
you know, they were raised that way or they had, uh, you know, some pretty good influences in their lives that they know they should be around church and they should, you know, be doing some things associated with church. But again, they too don't want to count the cost. They don't want to be part of the family of God and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, that's just a step or so too far. And uh, But we always welcome such people in the church. Now, certainly we want them to come. We want them to, uh, you know, uh, to break down the walls and receive, you know, that, that, that gift of salvation through Jesus. We want to see the Holy Spirit working in their lives to, you know, to draw them to Him. But until that point, they, they tend to be the people that stir up a lot of problems in a church. Uh, they can stir up much trouble within the church. Um, and, and what happens is it's kind of like this. It's, we we kind of think, you know, anybody that shows up to church and even shows up on a somewhat even regular basis, you know, that we, we can tend to think that they're just like us, that they're believers, that they have a, a commitment to the Lord. And, you know, we can kind of think that because we see them at church and maybe we see them a couple times a month or maybe even every week. And, you know, they see them at certain events and certain things. And, and you know, we can just kind of automatically think they're, that's what they are and that they're committed. But in reality, they're not. And, you know, they're the ones that, you know, tend to cause problems because they're just dealing with everything without the Spirit of God in them, and they're not, you know, believers, and so every action and decision is really based on uh, their just natural way of doing things, or the flesh, we'd say. It's just there's no spiritual life to them, and therefore, you know, we kind of think, well, we think of them maybe as believers, but in reality, they're not. And so what the people do here, as God instructed, is just to, just to move them all aside. We shouldn't just be intimately involved with them. And that's what they do. And so um, this is kind of the end of that chapter 11 and chapter 12 uh, revival, if you would. And God's word is working and they're doing so much that we've been talking about in the last few weeks. But when we get to chapter 4, I'm sorry, verse 4 now, uh, we know that Nehemiah was governor for uh, about 12 years. And then after that, he returns to Susa because he had promised Artaxerxes, the king of the Persian Empire, that he would go back. And so, you know, here's a, here's a map of, of, of that, and I'll make it a little bit, well, you can kind of see Susa over to the right there. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, they are coming across uh, um, the Mesopotamia, you know, the the Fertile Crescent, it calls, they're going across into Jerusalem. So you can kind of see, you know, what kind of a, um, you know, trip it was. And he had to, had to go back because he promised that he would uh, go back and serve the king. Now, we don't know how long um, he was gone for. You know, he, he was there for about 12 years and then he goes back, like he said. And then sometime in the future, he, he asked the king if he could return to Jerusalem to check on things. We don't know what that time period is because it doesn't tell us here. If it was just a few years or a little bit longer or a little bit shorter than that, it doesn't tell us. But what we find when he does return, and I, so I, I tend to think it was a few years, maybe you know three, four, five years or something like that, because we see that when he gets back, 
the Jews had abandoned it, all the promises and all the pledges really that they had made to carefully uh, observe God's law. They had, you know, seemingly slowly moved away from it, and now they were in this situation as it's described here uh, for the rest of the chapter. And so verse 4 tells us this. Now, before this, Elishabeb the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Now, Tobiah, here's again, here's another map, and you can see Judah in the middle of it, um, of that map, and uh, you know, the surrounding nations around it. And we see that, uh, you know, Ammon is just to the right there, and even some of the land in Ammon was, was referred to in certain times as. Uh, Tobiah's name, and whether it's from his family or whether it was from, uh, you know, some other, you know, his ruling of that area, he was somebody of importance. Now, we remember that, you know, he was uh, one of the guys when they were building the walls, he was one of those guys uh, of the three, you know, baddies that were, that were very sad to hear that uh, Nehemiah was coming to the land. We read very early on that there was somebody with some sort of authority that had concern for the Jews. This is before, you know, as Nehemiah is making his trip over there, when they heard about it, man, they were upset. And then, of course, as they found out what Nehemiah's plan was, they, you know, they're the ones that hung out. Oh, man, even if a fox jumps on that wall, it's going to fall over. What are you doing, you know, rebelling against the king? What do you think you're doing? And Nehemiah ignored it. Then they sent letters to the king saying, oh, Nehemiah is trying to break away from you guys. And then he threatened, you know, these guys threatened to kill him. They tried to assassinate him. You know, they tried to, you know, win him over through, through power sharing and so forth. And all of a sudden now... Elishabeb, who is the high priest, is allied with Tobiah, this complete enemy of, of, of the Jewish people. How did that happen? Now, we know that Tobiah was connected somehow to the people of Judah and some of the rulers of the people of Judah. We saw that earlier. But now to the high priest, you know, it very well could have been, and it, it seems like when we get to the end of the chapter, that he, uh, Elishabeb, is Tobiah's father-in-law. So his son married probably Tobiah's daughter. Remember what we just read. They, 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 they were moving them all out. God says, listen, you're not supposed to, they're not supposed to be a part of what you are because their ways of doing things and thinking is completely opposite. And, and, and here they are, the high priest has invited this guy uh, and he's, He's part of the family now. So something happened with that commitment, certainly, here. And then we read uh, what else he did. And verse 5 says, And he prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithe of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and to the singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then, after certain days, I obtained leave from the king and came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Elishabed had done for Tobiah in preparing a room 
for him in the courts of the house of God. So again, we talked a little bit about how Nehemiah got back there now. He's getting back there. And sometime when he was gone, obviously, uh, you know, now Tobiah has a, an apartment, if you would, in the city. And not only that, he has one of the big rooms that was meant to store the tithes and the offerings for the priests and for the Levites. You know, they were people would bring in their first fruits and then they would bring in their tithes. They would bring other gifts and offerings. And there were storerooms around the outside of the temple to hold those things. And then when they needed food or whatever, you know, they would allot it out to the people so that they could serve and work at the temple. It was part of their giving and part of their support. And now this guy has taken over one of those large rooms just for him to have a crash pad when he shows up in Jerusalem. He was an Ammonite. And again, we know that he shouldn't even have been allowed as part of the nation and let alone have a room in the temple courts that are meant for the offerings and the tithes. I mean, just think of how far that they had gotten off course here. And the leader of the people, spiritually, the high priest, is so far out of tune with the will and the word of the Lord that this happens. But again, don't think of this as too strange. You know, we can find ourselves doing something similar to this in our own lives. You know, we can experience a, a revival, a renewal. We can have this rededication, if you would, uh, or excitement when we come to know the Lord. And uh, we, we're, we're, we, you know, are excited and we want to serve. We want to do this. We want to, you know, experience all that God has for us. And then slowly, sometimes, but surely, we find ourselves compromising a little bit here, compromising a little bit there, you know, kind of returning to our old ways and making room for sin. And, and how does that happen? Well, Elishabeb lost touch with the things of God. That is very much clear. But the key is for him or for us in his, our day or in his day is to, you know, you know, to have the heart to diligently want to serve and to know the will of the Lord. And don't stop the things that will keep us in the center of God's will and God's plan for us. Keep our head in reality. Uh, Elisha Beb somehow in his own mind was able to justify this action to himself and, and seemingly to others. And what happens is when you lose touch with reality or the reality of God's call and God's plan and God's word and what his will is, is typically what happens is we find ourselves, you know, maybe not reading the word of God like we once did and maybe not praying as we know we should or fellowshipping uh, as God has called us to do that, or serving and seeking His will. And what happens is we slowly put other things in front of those things. Well, 
we really don't need to go to church on Sunday because, you know, we have these plans and it's like a, you know, a four-week commitment to do this, but it's okay. It's just for a month, you know, we're not going to, you know, be there, but we can kind of catch up and watch the services online or something. And, uh, you know, or we, you know, we know we should be in the word every day, but, oh, you know, I'm just so busy at, in the beginning, I go to work and then I really don't have time and I come home and I'm tired and I, you know, I, I, I know I should be in the word, but I'm not really, you know, in the word. And I, I got these other things and, you know, in our own mind, I should spend time praying, but, but really there's just so much going on and, you know, uh, and, and serving, well, I'm already so busy doing this, that and whatever. And so we slowly start putting things, you know, ahead of our desire to serve and to walk in, in the center of the will of the Lord and to, uh, you know, do that diligently. And seemingly that's what happens here. And then pretty soon you find yourself way off and you haven't been to church in six months or, you know, six years. And, you know, reading the Bible was something you can't even remember. And in fact, you're not even quite sure where the Bible is in your house, and if you did find it, it would be have quite a bit of dust on it. <laughs> you know, that's not a good sign. And that's what happens when you find yourself in these kind of places. Certainly, that's what, you know, seemingly is happening here, and it can happen in our lives. But it, it doesn't just stop there. Uh, verse 8 tells us that, you know... Um, it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. So we'll see other things as, that, that brought them to this point that are going on with the, with the people as well. But when Nehemiah sees this, he pretty much blows a gasket, right? I mean, he sees this and he goes, what? How could this enemy of everything that God wants to do have this place in the temple courts? He was the guy that wanted to kill me. Don't you guys remember? He was the guy that didn't want the walls rebuilt. He was the guy ready to get up with Gershom and Samballot and, and get their troops together and, and, and kill us in the middle of the night and knock down the walls and doing everything they could to discourage us and to put fear in us uh, because of the work that we were doing that the Lord had called us to do. And now this enemy is allowed in the camp where the Lord should be worshipped and Nehemiah you know, could see straight through this and see how wrong it was, no matter what Elisha Beb and, and some of the other people were thinking, you know, he clearly sees this is so completely wrong and basically just takes everything out of the room and just starts throwing it out. You know, here's his sofa, here's his TV, here's his laptop, you know, here's his, you know, uh, little refrigerator, you know, they're just, you know, throwing it out here and then had the priest you know, and Levites clean the room and rededicate it and put the offerings, you know, back in where they should be. Nehemiah, you know, doesn't let it continue. He takes care of the problem and he restores it. That stuff shouldn't be anywhere near here. And so he cleans it out and cleans it up. 
And I can't help but again, you know, this, this book is full of great illustrations for us as well. There's, there's times in our lives when we need to do this. You know, things that we just need to clean up and get rid of the Tobias that are in our lives. Or the things of Tobiah, the things of this world. You know, they, they kind of snuck their way in. They're kind of there. They're entrenched a little bit. And, and, and when the Lord shows it to us, you know, we just need to clean up and get rid of it and, and, and go back to, you know, rest, restoring what should be there. And that's the Lord's heart and the Lord's work in our lives. And it's, it's just a good thing to do. I think that's one of the important reasons that, you know, as we've said before, that the Lord instituted Passover. They were supposed to, for a whole week, not have anything with leaven or yeast in their house. So that means getting rid of breads and crackers and all kinds of pastries and cookies and desserts and almost uh, anything you baked seemingly, you know, well, I guess with flour and all that, you know, has some sort of yeast in it. So it would be a good percentage of a person's house that you would have to clear out every year for seven days. So you'd have to go through everything, get some of the crumbs that have accumulated at the back of the cabinet even, you know, a good spring cleaning, we would say. And the Lord was saying, listen, you know, there's some things, you know, you need to go through your house and look and get rid of once a year. Now, obviously, they were to get rid of the leaven, but it was also a great reminder to them. There are things that sometimes we allow in the house that just have no place there. And, you know, uh, we need to get rid of that stuff and bring in the things of the Lord back in service and in use for the Lord in our own lives. Just as he was doing that to this room, so... There's times we need to go through and put, bring back in the things of the Lord and back in service and use for His glory and His kingdom in our hearts and our lives. And that's a great picture of this. But the result of this, one of the things were in allowing Him to go in and this whole attitude of them moving slowly away from what the Lord had called them to do and their commitments they had made before the Lord. Remember they signed it and everything? Um, they, had, they had signed uh, an agreement that they were going to keep this and, and do all this. Well, you know, they, they had moved past that. And the result was, verse 10, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them for each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to his field. So, you know, Nehemiah, before he left, and one of the things the Word of God did in, in re renewing and reviving their hearts or bringing them to the things of the Lord, you know, when the Word of God was read, was that they, um, you know, were, were to support uh, the work of the Lord. But that too, obviously, had slow, slowly changed. And what was once a room that was used to put those things in, now, because the people weren't bringing the offerings, and maybe Elisha said, that room's been empty now for a month or a year or two years, and, and so, uh, you know, hey, why don't you come in, and maybe we can make a little money off your rent or, or whatever he was thinking, I don't know. And so the priests and the Levites had to go back to supporting themselves. 
they had to go back to work. They couldn't accomplish what the Lord had intended for them because the people were not faithful. And that was the result of this changed hearts. So all of a sudden, their priorities had changed. And so Nehemiah addresses that. Now, not only with Elisha, Beb, now with all the people here. And verse 11 said, So I contended with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. Then all of Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And I appointed as treasurers over the storehouse Shelemiah the priest and Zadok the scribe and of the Levites, Pedadiah, and next to them was Hanan the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered faithful, and their task was to distribute to their brethren. And then Nehemiah says, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. So Nehemiah sees this and says, Guys, what are you doing? You, you can't enjoy all the blessings and work of the Lord in your life when, when you're just not being faithful. And He's called you to have this place to come and worship, but you aren't doing your part, so these guys have to go back and do their part, so therefore you can't really come and worship the Lord the way He's called, that the place isn't there, it's not ready, the people aren't there, they can't do any of that, because you're not being faithful. And... and, and you know, then it's on the responsibility of, of the, the leaders to make sure that, you know, things are distributed the way they should be distributed. And, you know, again, uh, so he puts faithful men over this distribution. These guys will make sure that they're faithful to do what's right before the Lord and what they should do uh, before the Lord in their lives. And I want to ask us this question. Could Nehemiah call on you? Or could he call on me? Are we considered faithful people? Not our perception of what we think, but somebody else's perception of what we are. Because we might think, and we always tend to give ourselves the greatest benefit of the doubt, right? Well, my intentions are good, and I was thinking good things, and I want things to be right, but, you know, other people see the reality of it. You know, they don't, they don't see inside their intentions. They see, you know, what kind of person we are. And again, could Nehemiah call on you? Could Nehemiah call on me? And are we considered faithful people by others? That's a great tag to have associated with our names. A great place to be and... Ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be considered faithful, not only to you, but, you know, uh, with all my heart, but I want to be used by you, and I want to be a faithful person. And then, of course, we end with Nehemiah's prayer, and and don't think of him as being self-centered, because that's not Nehemiah's heart as we've been reading through this. It's really more like, Lord, how could this have happened after all that we went through and after all that you did here and all that was going on? And Lord, how could things just get so turned on their head here? And, and don't, 
don't forsake this place because of it. That's kind of the heart of the prayer there. And he'll say this a couple of times as we go through this here. Um, how, how could this happen? So the first thing he's dealing with is the high priest and what's he doing, and then the people and how they're giving and serving the Lord and, and, and that whole thing with the temple. And then next he sees this in verse 15. And in those days, I saw the people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and loaded donkeys with wine and grapes and figs and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre, um, men of, uh, Tyre uh, dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So here was another problem with the people and their commitment to the Lord. They weren't now honoring the Sabbath, making it a day of rest and of worship to the Lord, now the Sabbath had become just like any other day. It was just being ignored, you know, in disobedience to God's clear command in the Old Covenant. And foreigners were selling, and the people of Israel were buying as well. So not only were they doing work and doing the selling and doing commerce, but they were allowing others from outside to come in and do the same thing, and they were buying those things. And again, how did it get this way? Well, at the root of the problem was their priorities. Now, there's nothing wrong with buying and selling, but only when our desire to buy and sell or to make money and spend money becomes more important to us than honoring God. Uh, you know, uh, it was very clear the people of Israel were putting, making money and spending money before glorifying, instead of glorifying God. And again, it can happen in our lives today. Now, we're not called to do the Sabbath, and clearly, you know, uh, some People in Colossians esteem one day uh, above others. Okay, great. And some people, you know, uh, every day is a great day to worship the Lord, and that's fine under the new covenant. Certainly, we're, uh, that's true. But in the order of priorities and putting God first in our lives, you know, this is a great indication or a great picture of what not putting your priorities looks like and the result of them pictured here in the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. You know, priorities can get out of whack. Now, the same thing is true in our days. You know, people, you know, all of a sudden, well, you know, I'm making money, I'm doing okay, but if I work more, I will get more money and therefore I will be able to have more or get more or do this more. 
and so they work harder. And now, oh, well, you know, I, I, I'm working all this extra, these extra hours, and maybe it's overtime, or maybe it's in a business and you're putting more hours into it, or the office is demanding more hours for you because, you know, you have these responsibilities now. And so either you're, the hours and the time that you should be spending fellowshipping and serving the Lord like you once did and, and the basic things of reading the word and prayer, now the priorities have been shuffled. And then Sunday rolls around for church and you're just too wiped out to go to church or you're working. You, you know, one of the two things happen. Oh, I'm just so tired after doing all this for six days. I just need to sleep in and put my feet up. I mean, I'm exhausted. And I, I, I believe that. But that's because the priorities are out of whack. You notice that Nehemiah called this an evil thing because it was the one thing that got the nation really into trouble. You know, when you start reading the, 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 the major prophets and God's you know, warning the people and warning the people, you're heading in the wrong direction, you're, you're pursuing this instead of me, you're, you're you know, worshiping that instead of me, this is the priority instead of the things of me. And one of the things he always goes back to is that you're not keeping the Sabbath. And I, I think, you know, he said, even something that can bring you blessing, like the Sabbath, taking a day off and actually resting, which was kind of unheard of in that culture, and certainly is in a number of cultures in our world today, um, you know, rather than take that blessing, you know, you, you see it as something to get more. And, you know, his, his, his words were almost, if I could sum it up, is just give it a try. Try just spending that time with me, doing what I called you to do, that one day a week, and, and see how it goes. But they wouldn't even do that. And it got the nation into a lot of trouble. And so now they're finding themselves, Nehemiah says, you're just repeating History is repeating itself. Remember these walls that were just rubble and we felt unsafe. We couldn't even have a, you know, a gathering in the temple courts because we didn't know if marauders would come in and steal. We couldn't put things in the temple because people could come in and steal them and, and overpower us. We couldn't do all this stuff. And now look, at, we, we have all this and you guys are going back to what brought those walls down to begin with? What are you thinking? But again, it was a slow, progressive thing where their priorities just got out of whack. And, and so, uh, verse 19, uh, so it was at the gates of Jerusalem as it began to be dark before the Sabbath that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be open until after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates that no burdens should be brought in on the Sabbath. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and I said, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. I like that. I'll lay hands on you. <laughs> You're going to pay a price for that. Uh, from, this, uh, from that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. And then Nehemiah again puts up this prayer. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. 
You know, these guys desperately wanted to sell to the Jews every day of the week. And they had no concern for honoring the Lord or the Lord's people. They just wanted to line their pockets, right? And they just, you know, had no concern. And Nehemiah says, that's just not, you know, why are you inviting that in? And particularly on the day that's supposed to be dedicated to the Lord and, and resting in, 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 in the blessings that are found in Him. Uh, you know, uh, it's just something we need to be careful of in our day as well. There, there are those out there today that are just like this. You know, they wait to take advantage of us and move us away from what the Lord would have us to do. You know, the, the, I, it, it kind of works like this. Oh, come with me. Yeah, let's do this this weekend. You know, you can go to church, you know, next Sunday. You know, let's just, let's just get, let's just do this. Let's go here. Let's, let's be a part of this. Come on, you can go to church, you know, next week or the couple weeks after that. Or, you know, hey, let's do this. Oh, you know, I'm going to like to read my Bible. No, no, come on, let's go to the gym in the morning. Let's work out together. Well, I usually try to read my Bible. Oh, you know, uh, you'll be okay. You know, you can find other time to do it. Can't you do it some other time during the day? I mean, these are the kind of voices that we hear that try to take advantage of us and move us away from the things of the Lord, much like these people were doing to the Jews on the Sabbath day. Or, or you know, you go after work with them and you hang out and, and they want to go out and carouse around or party or doing this. And, you know, like, no, that's not part of what I do. It's not the scene I'm, you know, with anymore like that. And they, oh, come on, you can be good tomorrow. Let's just hang out with us and do this. Those are the kind of voices that we can hear and do hear in our lives that Nehemiah says, listen, you, 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 you need, uh, sometimes you need to just, you know, cleanse yourself of these things and guard your gates too. You know, let's, you know, we, we got to cleanse ourselves from these relationships or these people that really have no interest in our eternal and spiritual well-being because it's not anything in their lives. It's just not a priority. And they want to influence us and, oh, it'll be okay. And that's, what's it going to hurt? And this one time or missing this a little bit. And they, and they try to take advantage and move us away. And they're that influence. And, you know, we just need to stand up and guard our gates. Much like Nehemiah assigns the, the Levites to do. Let's guard our gates so this doesn't take place in our lives. And then the last thing that Nehemiah finds here in the last part of the chapter, in verse 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married the women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but, according, but spoke according to the language of one of the other people, or one, or of, sorry, spoke the language of one or the other people. So I contended um, with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons uh, for, or your sons for yourselves. And then he says, You know, uh, 
Did not Solomon, the king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him, who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused him to sin. Should we hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And so one of the sons of Jediah, uh, 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 Joadiah, the sons of Elisha, son of Elishabed, the high priest, was son-in-law to, of Samballat the Horonite. Therefore I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan, and I, I also assign duties of the to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bring the wood offering and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, O my God, for good. So the last thing that Nehemiah sees going on is they had broken uh, the marriage vows and married outside the faith. Now he had already dealt with this at one time, and they all repented and got things right. And then they were walking with the word of God. And then somehow when he was gone, you know, they slowly slid back and slid back. And now they were, again, marrying those people all around. And the, and the children didn't even know how to speak Hebrew. They didn't even know how to speak the language because probably most likely the pagan wives that they were getting, you know, spoke the language of Ashdod or Ammon or Moab. They spoke, they spoke that language and they didn't speak you know, even though they were living in Israel and, and they didn't even speak the language of Judah or Hebrew. And, and then he says, you, you guys, don't you remember Solomon? I mean, remember Solomon? And again, that, I don't know if that picture helps you, but he had, you know, you know, 700 wives and 300 concubines. And you remember how that worked out? Marrying all these women from all these nations around, which is exactly what Solomon did. A lot of those wives were from women of other nations that surrounded them. And look what happened to him. He had everything. He was loved by the Lord. And given more probably than anybody ever had or will ever have. Yet by marrying outside the faith, it brought him down. And again, you know, verse 28 just tells us that, you know, that they let another enemy, Sam Ballot, who was connected to the high priest's son, and maybe the same thing, again, that we talked about uh, in the beginning here, uh, uh, you know, maybe with um, when he was uh, talking about, uh, what's his name, uh, the, other, the other enemy of the state there, he, um, you know, he, he, I can't believe that he's connected to the high priest as well. Now Sam Ballot is is a part of it. Not only have you let oh, um, you know Elisha Bab, you 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 let other in and gave him apartment. What's his name? Sorry, I'm gonna look it up here real quick. Can't even remember. I don't know why. Um, what was it? Oh, Tobiah. <laughs> Tobiah. You let Tobiah in here. Now you're 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 also now your your son-in-law or father-in-law to you know uh, Sam Ballot, who was just like Tobiah. I mean, an enemy wanted to kill me, wanted to not have the walls come down, hated the fact that I was coming over there and all that. And, and now you're bringing 
him into your family as well? Um, again, allowing things working against the work and the will of the Lord in their lives. Inviting those things in. And that doesn't just happen overnight. You know, it just takes time. You know, you slowly compromise on this, then you compromise on that, and that will be okay. And I'm, you know, I'm just too busy to, you know, be able to read the Bible or go to church or fellowship or do these things. And, and then these other influences and these voices are, hey, come on with that, let's do this. And it's easier to step into those things. And, and, and then pretty soon we're inviting some of those people in, in our house that have no business being there. They're anything but a good influence. As a matter of fact, whenever they come over or whenever we spend time with them, all we do is find ourselves getting into trouble or doing things that we know that we shouldn't. And those are the kind of people that we just need to move out of our lives. And we can't ever think that, you know, the Word of God doesn't apply in my situation. I'm the exception to the rule. Um... And, and we need to learn these important lessons. And, and Nehemiah is crying out, I just can't believe it, Lord. Lord, don't, don't, you know, don't, re- don't repeat the judgment that has already fallen on us. Lord, you know, uh, we want to get back on track here. And, you know, you don't want to mess with Nehemiah. Of course, in that day, he was a governor and he had some authority and he was like, you know, he literally shook up the people. What do you think you're doing? And that just gives you the sense of how bad that was and how bad of an influence it was for the people of the Lord. And they need to be shaken up and that stuff shaken off them. And so again, it's just a, an important thing for us to remember as we conclude the, the book of Nehemiah here, just to you know keep it out, get rid of it, stay faithful to the basics, Remembering that we always have to move forward in the Lord. And as you've probably heard many times before, and I have said many times before, you know, the Christian, the, the Christian life is a marathon. And listen, nobody completes a marathon if they stop running. If you stop on mile 15 or, or mile you know, 18 or whatever, you, you know, or slow down and stop on mile 3 or whatever, you know, you're just not going to finish the race. And, and, and the Christian life is a continuous marathon. You, you need to continue to move forward. And if you're not moving forward, then the reality is you can find yourself slipping back. And so we, we need to lean in and clean up sometimes and get rid of these Sam Ballots and Tobias and clean things up and bring the things of the Lord back in. Set the priorities straight. Because if not, we find ourselves, well, like these people found themselves, and then it just kind of starts swirling down the drain, and things get worse, and things get worse, and things get, we can't figure out why they're getting worse and worse and worse. It's just because, you know, the Lord's just trying to draw us back and get our attention, but we're, priorities are so out of whack, and our our thinking and a way of, of doing things now has just gone back so much to the things of the world that, you know, it's a, it's a difficult step to do that. But nonetheless, we need to be faithful in it. And that's the great example that we see here in the book of Nehemiah and his leadership and his faithfulness. So it can be done. He was doing it. He was doing it in a worse place than Israel. He was, 
you know, they had the temple, they had, you know, access to so much, you know, uh, the grace of uh, the presence of God with the temple. He was doing that and staying faithful in, in the Persian, you know, capital. He was doing it where they have nothing to do with the Lord. And he was able to continue to do his walk, walk with the Lord, even in the, the midst of very difficult circumstances compared to what the people in Israel and particularly Jerusalem had. So it's possible they're able to do it, even in the most difficult circumstances. And the encouragement, uh, you know, that he points to us and the Lord holds up to us is to be faithful and, uh, and, 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 you know, enjoy all that the Lord has for us. Absolutely to be true. Well, next week we'll pick it up in Esther, which we'll go back and date a little bit. And then uh, we'll read through her story, and um, then move on to Job. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, for this time, Lord. We thank you for reminding us of these things. And, and they're always difficult, you know, to teach, Lord, um, uh, because it's just, you know, not a comfortable thing. And But, Lord, it's an important thing. We need to remember this. These things are very um, relevant and appropriate for our lives and our time as well. And though the circumstances might be a little bit different and how things go down, but the reality and the heart and the priority problems and the waning of things that are, that are good and right and allowing things to slowly slip in are, are also true in our lives today. So help us to be faithful people. Help us to walk faithfully as Nehemiah did. Lord, help us to have that, that purpose and that heart and that passion to stay in the center of your will and to love and serve and live for you above everything else. Lord, we want to be those people. We want to be at the center of your will and your heart and the lives that you have us to live because we know that's where the joy and the peace and the satisfaction and the comfort and the rest and so much more is found. And for anybody that needs to, you know, kick out the Sam Ballots or the Tobias and clean up some stuff and rededicate and move the things of the Lord back in, I pray that they would just heed that tonight, Lord. Help us to do that. All of us have some cleaning to do, without exception. All of us have some rededication things that need to happen. Help us to be those people and to be faithful in doing them. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you guys. All right, Mr. Marty, I think we did okay.